At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of the Commonwealth Policy Center. The Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. So how far does the Second Amendment go? Is the right to bear arms an absolute right? Should you be allowed to own a bazooka or a tank? What about so-called assault weapons, usually automatic rifles with high-capacity magazines? And there's been a lot of people who want to blame guns for tragedies, mass shootings in this country. But uh, is gun restriction the solution? Uh, Joining us to talk about the Second Amendment and protecting the people's right to bear arms is State Representative Josh Bray. He's introduced BR-171, which would make Kentucky a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Josh, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you for having me. Yes, it's really good that you're here. Of course, we're recording uh, in Frankfurt just a few minutes from the Capitol, and uh, the Second Amendment seems to be one of the hottest topics in uh, recent years, really as long as I can remember. Whenever there's a, a, a mass shooting or some kind of gun violence, there are calls from the political left to restrict gun ownership, um, as if that's going to stop whatever crime was perpetrated. Yeah, and if you look, just take, for example, right now, Mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing in larger cities across the country, um, violent crime is spiking, Mm -hmm. but the gun laws haven't changed. Mm -hmm. So instead of blaming the defund the police movement, they're talking about coming for the Second Amendment right. And so um, what I would consider to be, you know, the, the Second Amendment is as clear as it could be. The right of the people to bear arms shall not be infringed. And but we've got a, a president um, who's kind of stoking the stoking the flames right now, um, and so th- there has been a lot of talk about executive action and um, regulatory authority over the Second Amendment, and which is why I filed BR one seventy one. Josh, often I hear people on the left talk about any effort to restrict guns is not meant to um, harm sportsmen, hunters target shooters. Is that what the Second Amendment's about? Is it about hunting? No, I mean, it never has been. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look at um, how, how it was written, uh, it, it, it's for defense of our liberty. I mean, it, it, it is our God-given right, you know, according to the Constitution and, and what I believe, to uh, defend ourselves. And, and that's why they, they felt the need to build that into the Second Amendment. Now, my exposure to firearms has been through the lens of a sportsman, you know, avid outdoorsman. My father taught me to hunt. Um, I, I'm teaching my son to hunt. Yeah. And so, but it, it's not exclusively to sportsman's right. It, it, it's our right uh, to protect our own liberty. The language of the Second Amendment clearly says being necessary to the security of a free state. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, I've heard, I'm fascinated with this debate because this amendment goes to the founding of this country. If you remember why we got the Second Amendment, it's because the founding fathers remembered when the British were marching on Concord and Lexington specifically to seize their arms at the armory. Mm -hmm. They had guns, they had cannons, and they realized that if they could disarm uh, the Minutemen and the colonies, then they could do whatever they wanted. Yeah, and and that's not a unique story to just what the British tried to do to you know, to the uh, colonists. If you look back through history, you know, the the, the communist Chinese uh, disarmed the citizens. The uh, mm-hmm. Joseph Stalin disarmed his own people. Adolf mm-hmm. Hitler disarmed his own people so that they couldn't fight back. Mm-hmm. And the Second Amendment's a lot broader um, than, like you said, just, just sportsmen's rights. You know, Section 1 of the Kentucky Constitution says, in part, that all men have an inalienable right to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state. You know, you you brought up uh, some of the um, most notorious authoritarian dictators of the 20th century and what they did to their people. They first disarmed them, and then they could do whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. I've shared this with my kids. I've talked about um, evil people that come to power and what they do. Uh, and, And they'll say, Dad, that won't happen here. Dad, we're in the United States of America. We live in a free republic. We have accountable representatives, and we can... You know, our voices uh, can still sway them, but that'll never happen here. Well, how would you respond to that? I pray that it never would happen here. <laughs> and, you know, while um, I, I would agree that, you know, hopefully with good representation, it never will happen here. You know, never say never. I mean, if we look at um, just kind of throughout history and kind of what's going on right now, just take the First Amendment, for example. Yeah. I mean, the 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 president of the United States is calling for Facebook to censor people for misinformation. And the government itself is determining what's misinformation. And so we're, we're seeing piece by piece these, um, you know, it's small bites of, of Liberty kind of being taken away. And that's why I filed BR 171 is because you want to make sure, you know, we're proactive in the legislature. I mean, Kentucky is a second amendment state. Uh, you, you take my experience with the Second Amendment, like I said, experience through the lens of a sportsman. But there are millions just like me all across the state. Josh, did you introduce this bill uh, from what constituents asked you to do, or was this, of course, you're in your second term? First For, term. First term. Mm-hmm. Uh, you represent Rock Castle, part of Madison. And Garrett County. And Garrett County. Yep. And uh, conservative part of the state, mm-hmm. I would say. A lot of outdoorsmen, a lot of people who work with the land, farmers and uh, outdoors type. But is there a Second Amendment movement in your district? Oh, absolutely. Um, So outside of unemployment, you know, the the hundreds of emails and phone calls and messages I've I've received on just trying to help people with their unemployment, protecting the Second Amendment has been the number one topic amongst my constituents. Like, hey, will you file something about this? Hey, can you do something about this? And so, um, absolutely. Do uh, So where do they see the threat? Is it happening in Garrett County or city government, local government? Where, where do they see the threat coming from? Same place that, you know, that I kind of see it. You know, in, in my part of the state, I, I don't have to worry about a fiscal court um, implementing some attack on the Second Amendment or a city doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, all my, my counties have passed 
are, are one of the 113 in the state that have passed similar measures to this. Yeah, yeah hundred and if I could interject, yeah. 113 out of 120 mm-hmm. Kentucky counties have passed measures, resolutions essentially saying that we are a Second Amendment uh, community. We're a Second Amendment county. That's astounding. Oh, absolutely. And so that kind of shows th- what we were talking about earlier. Kentucky's a Second Amendment state. Uh, so I, I want to go back to what's causing people oh, yeah. to to uh, voice their opinion to you. Is it the stuff that's going on in Washington, D.C.? Of course, Democrats are in control of Congress. There's a push by congressional Democrats. There's a push by President Biden. President Biden would like to restrict Second Amendment rights. He 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 is for an assault ban. He calls right. Uh, and let, let's talk about that for a moment. Okay. An assault weapon. How, how do you define an assault weapon? Well, that, that's the million-dollar question. And, you know, Biden's own uh, ATF appointee can't, uh, can't define assault weapon. Yeah. You know, to me, there's no such thing as an assault weapon. I mean, I can assault anybody. I mean, I can assault somebody with a wrench. I mean, so is that an assault wrench? I mean, I- any weapon can be used for ill intent uh just the same way any vehicle can be used for with an ill intent, or it just it just boggles my mind. And so, the, the idea that assault weapons are the problem just kind of makes you scratch your head when you look at the actual statistics of it. Assault, you know, what the ATF describes as an assault weapon or assault rifle <laughs> accounts for less than one percent of all gun violence. So when I think of an assault weapon, I think of something that looks like a military-style gun. It may have a handle on the top. It uh, has a heavy, large-capacity magazine. Often they're black, mm-hmm. um, Kevlar, uh, stock, that kind of thing. Um, but the function of something that looks like that compared to a semi-automatic sporting arm mm-hmm. is really not different. It, a semi-automatic, let's say 30-odd-6, Shoots just as fast or as many rounds as a semi-automatic AR-15. Right. Uh, the only difference might be how big the magazine is. Well, you can get mag- pretty big magazines for sporting arms as well. Right. And, and so this is kind of something that's close to me because you're talking about a, a semi-automatic .30-06. Well, that's what my deer rifle is. Yeah. I've got a Browning BAR Safari, yeah. and it's, so it's a semi-auto .30-06. My, I've got a nine-year-old son. He, he's a you know, smaller frame uh, kid, and he can shoot my AR-15 because it has the the collapsible stock. It's lightweight. It's got a round that doesn't recoil overly hard. Mm-hmm. Um, whole lot less destructive power than what a thirty out six will do. Um, yeah. So it's just they they look intimidating. So they must be evil. They must be bad. And, and I just I, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I, and I think of one of and I'm a hunter too. I grew up hunting. Love the outdoors. I've owned several different kinds of rifles and shotguns. But I think of one of the most potent weapons at close range is a 12-gauge shotgun with a short barrel using buckshot of some kind. Oh, absolutely. Because with every pull of the trigger, you're going to have a large range, um, and there are multiple pellets coming out with each pull of the trigger. Absolutely. I mean, so... So, so, so should those be banned? I mean, if you want to talk about assault weapons, technically that could be viewed... Or, or, or let's look at, you know, so let's say the federal government's successful in, in banning AR-15s. Mm-hmm. If we look at actual handgun, vi- I mean, actual violence, mm-hmm. the vast majority of it's perpetrated by handguns. So do handguns then become assault yeah. weapons? Yeah. 
Um, so it, it's just kind of this never-ending um, domino effect. You know, we'll start with the the high-capacity magazines or AR-15s, and then we'll uh, – well, that's not actually the problem because, as a matter of fact, you know, when the 1994 assault weapons ban ended, mm-hmm. we didn't see any uh, increase in violent crime or homicides. Actually, we saw just the opposite. You know, homicides continue to decline, which – there's no correlation there to show that assault weapons are um, a, a contributing factor to gun violence throughout the United States. It may make people feel better if a law is passed and if there's some kind of restrictions in place, but what I'm hearing you say is there's no correlation. There's no evidence that shows these type of restrictions are going to actually lead to a decrease in violent crime no, or mass let, shootings. Let's look at, I mean, let's look at the actual data. Um, if we look at the the two states in the country with the strictest gun laws, that would be Illinois and California, they account for um, 15% of all gun homicides. Mm. So you take the strictest two places, and, and out of, you know, their, what, 4% of the, um, or, or 8% of the, the, the total states, but they count for almost double the, the homicide, it, it's, there's no correlation there that that gun um, that gun restrictions actually uh, provide any sort of safety. That's a that's a very good point. On that note, if you're just joining us, you're listening to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with State Representative Josh Bray, and we're talking about Kentucky becoming a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Josh has filed BR 171. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, stay there. We'll be right back in just a moment. Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Policy Center. It's clear that we're living in confusing and challenging times where law and culture are increasingly hostile to Christian values. So how do you maintain your faith and convictions? That's a question that we're helping to answer at our Christianity and Culture Conferences. The goal is to help believers to understand the culture and how to respond in an effective and winsome way. And we'd love for you to join us. The first two were well-received, and we look forward to seeing you at our fall conferences in Bowling Green, Paducah, and in Somerset. To find out more, go to CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. That's CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org, and we look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of CPC, here with State Rep. Josh Bray from Rockcastle County. Wait, Rockcastle or Garrett? I, I live in Rockcastle. You're in Rockcastle. Mm-hmm. So Rockcastle is just almost due south of uh, Lexington. Right. South and maybe east a little bit. Uh, yeah, d- directly south. We're about 40 minutes south of Lexington. Tell us about your district. What is What does it look like, the geography, the kind of people? What What, what do your constituents do for a living? What, what's it like down in that area? Um, so Rockcastle County, right on I-75, um, largest employer is the Rockcastle County Hospital um, they provide world-class health care in a rural setting. They are the largest. Um, it used to just be east of the Mississippi, but now it's in the entire country. They're the largest skilled ventilator um, facility in the country. Um, so that that's a big part of it. Um, school system is obviously a, a big employer in the, um, in the district. And then I have all of Garrett County as well, which is uh, – so Garrett County would be located to the northeast of Rock or northwest of Rockcastle, and then everything west of I seventy five along Madison County. So geographically, a, a very uh, large district, uh, very conservative people, 
Um, I like to call it God's country. So It's pretty country. I've been through there in the past, and the beautiful country. Yeah. Beautiful rolling hills and part of it, some steep ridges and hollers and other parts. Uh, beautiful area. Now, you know, I, I'm a little biased, but I, you know, I wouldn't live anywhere else. So, <laughs> so Josh, uh, you were actually here in the CPC office a year and a half ago. I can't remember when it was exactly, but mm-hmm. we interviewed you trying to figure out who you were, what mm-hmm. you stood for, and whether or not we could endorse you uh, in your election. And uh, tell tell the the listeners a little bit how you got involved in your background and then how you got involved sure. with politics. Sure. So I started off um, as the city administrator of the city of Mount Vernon. And so what that means is I was the city manager in a mayor council form of government for the city of Mount Vernon in Rockcastle County. And so I had started, you know, as Mount Vernon started to grow and we were looking to um, expand economically and get some projects funded, I started coming to Frankfurt a lot more and just paying a lot more attention to kind of what was going on. And I, I felt the real need to uh, get involved, felt like I had a, a unique perspective with the um, local government background, and, you know, I'm an accountant by trade. That's what I got my degree in. And so very, very conservative and just felt like I could come to Frankfurt and, and do some good. And so that's that just got put on my heart and ended up pulling the trigger and haven't looked back since. You uh, pulled up uh, an upset victory. You defeated an incumbent. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't happen very often in uh, uh, in Frankfurt politics. Uh, did you have high expectations uh, when you came in, when you first uh, stepped foot into the state capitol? What did you expect? That first day, it, it's kind of crazy. So when I was in middle school, was very involved in the Y Club, um, used to come up here for KYA. And, you know, mm-hmm. as a seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth grader, put on the suit, you know, mm-hmm. always too big and <laughs> and kind of pretend like going, you know, passing the laws and voting on stuff. And then to, to come in on the first day and get sworn in, I mean, it was just unbelievable feeling. Um, just at, and still, even today, you know, had committee meetings this morning, pulled, you know, come down the hill, uh, pulled up to the Capitol and just, just seeing it and seeing all the history. And it's just it's unbelievable. Absolutely. It's a breathtaking building. But to, just to be part of that institution, which you are, as one of 100 state representatives, you're charged with the awesome task of creating public policies, mm-hmm. laws that we're all going to live under. Right. And, of course, we're talking about Kentucky becoming a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Essentially, I want to get dig into this a little bit. Sure. Uh, the, 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 the language of the bill essentially says this that no law enforcement agency, law enforcement officer, employee of a law enforcement agency, public agency, and the list keeps going, uh, shall enforce, insist in the enforcement of, or otherwise cooperate in the enforcement of a federal ban on firearms, ammunition, or firearm accessories, and shall not participate in any federal enforcement action implementing a federal ban on firearms, ammunition, or firearm accessories. That's one of just about five different specific things it does. Mm-hmm. But that's a big one. Now, that's... one of your colleagues, uh, Joni Jenkins from Louisville, I believe, was critical of this. She was interviewed by another media outlet, and she said that could potentially, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just quote from her. This was in Kentucky today. She said, I think there are a lot of unanswered questions in there, said Representative Jenkins. Could be a lot of unintended consequences 
as we look to preemptively ban laws that aren't even on the books yet. Do you want to respond to that? I didn't come, I didn't get elected to come to Frankfurt and just sit on my hands while things were happening in Washington that I what, may agree with or disagree with, in this case disagree with. There's a saying, you know, the, the best defense is a good offense. And, and so getting out in front of this um, is so important. If we look at – I want to read a few quotes from yeah. our president right yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Um, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. You know, mm-hmm. despite the – you know, Second Amendment sounds absolute. The right to the, of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Mm-hmm. Um and then if you wanted or if you think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. Mm. Talking about, you know, nuking his own citizens. Now, do I think that's going to happen? Absolutely not. But, I mean, we're speaking in hyperbole here. And it's just Joe Biden has nominated a guy to head up the ATF named David Chipman. And so – if the viewers aren't familiar with David Chipman, I, I highly suggest they kind of look at his past. Um, he was employed by the gun control lobby. Mm. Uh, thinks the Secret Service shouldn't have weapons. They've not used them in 50 years, yet they have one of the largest arsenal of weapons. And, mm. yeah, just uh, supports an assault weapons ban, supports confiscating guns. And so I would disagree that even though um, there aren't any, you know, quote-unquote laws on the books, that, Kentucky just doesn't need to sit back and and let things happen. And this is important because currently, you know, the ATF is reviewing um, a policy on what they call pistol braces or pistol stabilizing braces. Um, It's something that I own at home. And so by administrative regulation, they can make criminals out of somebody like me, Um, somebody who's never, you know, been arrested or, you know, the worst thing I've ever done is sped on the interstate, you know, and – it's kind of crazy to, to think about what could be coming through administrative regulation or executive order. And and that's really what this bill takes care of. Um, I want to say, go on yeah. with another statement that Johnny Jenkins made. Again, your colleague in the State House representing the Louisville, part of a, a district in Louisville, she said, our law enforcement could be acting in a way, she's referring to if this bill is passed, mm-hmm. if BR 171 is passed, our law enforcement could be acting in a way that they could be criminally liable for official misconduct if they don't comply with this. You know, I think that we've heard this reasoning for 20 or more years. We've never heard this happen under multiple different administrations. So she's suggesting if this passes and if law enforcement cannot enforce, state or local law enforcement cannot enforce the federal law, that they could be criminally liable. And I would disagree with that. You know, okay. the, tenth, the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution is the separation of powers. Um, amendment and what it says is that um, states have all rights that aren't explicitly given to the federal government and so there was a constant um, a case decided by the Supreme Court it was Prince versus the United States and it, it was actually a, um, a, a the, what the decision was uh, the federal government had violated the Tenth Amendment when Congress required state and local officials to perform background checks on people buying guns. And so that come about because there were some sheriffs in Idaho, I believe, that didn't want to enforce this, didn't want to force this uh, federal mandate. And so 
They chose not to, and the Supreme Court ruled in their favor. So I don't see how, um, by the state exerting its constitutional rights, we could, uh, you know, she may not like the law, but I don't see how we could find, you know, official misconduct. Representative Bray, there is a groundswell of support from across the state as 113 out of 120 Kentucky counties have enacted similar uh, resolutions supporting uh, the, the idea of becoming a Second Amendment sanctuary mm-hmm. county. Um, six cities have adopted this uh, similar language. 17 states, uh, including yeah. those surrounding Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee, and West Virginia are considered Second Amendment sanctuary states. Uh, is there support in the state legislature for this? Oh, I, I feel positive. You know, if you look last year, um, Representative Thomas Huff had filed um, a bill with similar language in it. Um, and I don't know exactly how many co-sponsors it had, but the last time I checked, it seemed like it was over 30. So I feel like the support's there. I would like to see um, the General Assembly take a proactive measure um, to, to make sure our, our, you know, Kentucky sends a message that Kentucky's a Second Amendment state. If this bill is passed, of course, it's just a pre-filed bill right now. It's BR-171. What would be the enforcement mechanism to make sure that local law enforcement or the state-level law enforcement isn't executing what is viewed as an unconstitutional Second Amendment infringement? How how would you ensure that that's not happening? Okay, that's a a very good question, and it's something we're actually working through now. So we've pre-filed this bill to uh, get the conversation started, and so we're having those discussions behind the scenes, whether that's through the Attorney General's office, through um, the uh, judiciary, um, just getting that started so that we know where we are, where we can go, and, and how we can do it. Are you getting feedback from constitutional lawyers? On, uh, on the constitutionality of something like this? Absolutely. Um, like you said, 17 other states have filed um, this this same concept of a bill. The, the bill here that we uh, are discussing, BR-171, was actually modeled after a bill that Montana had passed this past session. Um, and so we're, um, yes, th- that's all being done. And, and so the, the United States Supreme Court is actually over their next session, getting ready, supposedly getting ready to take up some Second Amendment issues. And so um, the, the hope is there's a lot more clarification on that. You know, we feel like they're going to strike down a whole lot of um, unconstitutional uh, gun restrictions throughout the country. Would be, I want to go back to the impetus behind this, the ban mm-hmm. on assault, so-called assault weapons are mass shootings. What would be the solution to mass shootings? And they are relatively rare. It's tragic, and I don't want to underplay, undermine the the tragedy and the trauma that happens, but what what would be a better response in another way other than restricting gun rights? That's the billion-dollar question. Um, You know, you're right. They're absolutely tragic. Um, It happens too frequently. You know, we've not heard, you know, luckily we've not heard as much of that going on here recently except in larger cities. Um, But it's kind of like how do you um, solve a a murder problem? Well, we've already made murder illegal. You can't make it double illegal. Josh Bray, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you, Richard.